Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy extended to us this past week. Um, it was vacation Bible school was a great time, and we and we had uh, petitioned you and sought you um, many times about uh, the details and about the overall scope, and especially about the presence of your Spirit. And uh, we feel like you really we, we we're grateful for the way you worked uh, this past week. Um, we come now to your word uh, to learn again of Christ, um, to study your word. We ask, Lord, that you would shape us, mold us, encourage us, convict us, rebuke us, where, whatever is necessary, teach us. And uh, we know that uh, probably there are different lessons that uh, each one of us needs to hear. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would minister to each one of us accordingly. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 9.18. Matthew 9.18. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 893. Matthew 9.18, page 983, if you're using the, the pew Bible. You see the sermon title there, uh, Worthy of Your Trust. Worthy of Your Trust. Um, Friday... I typed uh, that phrase, worthy of trust, into my uh, search engine. And uh, here are some of the headlines that I found. Um, uh, first one was, how, how, trustworthy are, how trustworthy are these cryptocurrencies? And, and they list them there. And I didn't read the article because I didn't really care. Um, the next one was, analysis. To regain trust, the news media needs objectivity. So apparently there's some trust issues with the news media. I don't know. That was new to me. Uh, Stephen A. Smith to Bill Maher, you're worthy of more trust than almost anybody on television. Uh, so I, I don't know how you feel about that. This one, uh, Joe Biden re- reportedly struggled to trust some of his Secret Service detail who were Donald Trump supporters. So political headline there. Another one was uh, Six Reasons Al... Actually, it's AI. AI does not deserve our trust. It would have been fun if someone named Al was in the congregation. But this is the one that I found interesting. Eight tips for appearing more trustworthy during a pitch. (laughs) No comment on actually being trustworthy, just appearing more trustworthy. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. I read none of those articles. But... I know someone who is worthy of your trust, and he's worthy of your trust in every single area of your life, and today's passage demonstrates that. So let's look at the passage, Matthew 9:18. going to be reading through verse 26. And he, that is Jesus, was telling them these things. Suddenly, uh, I'm sorry, as he was telling them these things, suddenly one of the leaders came and knelt down before him, saying, my daughter is near death. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus and his disciples got up and followed him. Just then a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years approached from behind and touched the tassel on his robe, for she said to herself, If I can just touch his robe, I'll be made well. But Jesus turned and saw her. Have courage, daughter, he said. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that moment. When Jesus came to the leader's house, he saw the flute players and a crowd lamenting loudly, Leave, he said, because the girl isn't dead, 
but sleeping. And they started laughing at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And this news spread throughout that whole area. So this particular account of these two miracles is also found in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. Matthew's account, in fact, is much more abbreviated than those two accounts in Mark and Luke. So I will occasionally bring in details from the other two Gospels as we discuss this particular historical account in the life of Jesus. Um, This passage begins with a leader coming to Jesus and begging Jesus to come to his home because his daughter is near death. And we know from Mark and Luke that this man's name is Jairus. His name is Jairus. And we also know that his daughter was 12 years old at this time. 12 years old. Now Jairus was a synagogue ruler in Capernaum. Synagogues were Jewish houses of worship in place of the temple. You know, the temple in Jerusalem is where they would go to offer sacrifices and so forth. But when they were living at home, they would go to the synagogue and it was a place of worship. And the synagogue ruler was responsible for the order of the worship and for the progress of the worship. It didn't necessarily mean that he taught or even had any part in this service, but that he was responsible for the order of the service. Um, The location of this particular synagogue is in Capernaum, where Jesus lived uh, for uh, during his ministry, it was kind of his home base during his ministry. He would often stay in the home of, for instance, um, Peter and Andrew. Now, interestingly to me, and maybe not to you, but the synagogue in Capernaum is the most well-preserved synagogue that exists from the time of Jesus. Um, the, well, actually, it, the synagogue that is there is from, dates from the 4th or 5th century, but it's built on top of the synagogue, of the, the foundation of the synagogue that Jesus himself worshipped in. And you can see, if you go online, you can see the picture of the foundation underneath the current synagogue. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but I just found that particularly fascinating. This particular synagogue that, Jesus, that we're talking about here, that Jairus ruled and that Jesus was in, was built, by, was funded by a Roman soldier. Um, it was a centurion. It's the same centurion who came to Jesus at one point and said, my servant is dying, and I, I would like, he wanted Jesus to heal his servant who was near to the point of death. And Jesus said, all right, I'll go. And remember the soldier said to him, no, you don't need to come. I know that if you say the word from where you're at, you don't need to come to my home. If you say the word, he will be healed. And Jesus looked at this Roman soldier <laughs> who said this, and he said, I haven't found such great faith in all of Israel, you know, and he healed uh, that man's servant. Well, anyway, this Roman soldier is the one who funded the building of this particular synagogue. That's all background information, but I find it fascinating. Anyway, moving on with the passage. So Jairus, this leader, comes to Jesus for help with his daughter, and he begs Jesus, my daughter is near death, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Now, Now there's faith too. This man exhibits faith. Jairus has confidence that this particular rabbi can reclaim his daughter's life from the brink of death. And Jesus responds. He gets up and he follows him. Now, we're used to, we're used to knowing Jesus as the, the friend of sinners and tax collectors. We're knowing Jesus as the friend of the lowly and as the one who reaches out to the lower classes. But here's an example of him responding to someone from the middle class. Synagogue rulers were very respected in their communities. Jesus, Jesus came for all classes. All people 
need Christ, and we need to remember this. All people need Christ. The poor need Jesus. The middle classes need Jesus. The most powerful people in the world need Jesus. The most famous people in the world need Jesus. The wealthiest people in the world need Jesus. And he comes to all who sincerely call upon him, who recognize their sinfulness, and who receive him into their lives. Now Jairus and Jesus and the rest don't make it to Jairus' house before someone else is coming to Jesus and petitioning him, petitioning him with her particular need. So there's a woman in the crowd, a woman with a chronic illness. She has a chronic bleeding problem, and this has been going on for 12 years. For 12 years she's been bleeding, and she comes up behind Jesus and she touches the tassel on his robe. She's convinced that doing so is going to heal her. If I can just uh, touch his robe, I'll be made well. And she's right. She's healed. And we read in the account that Jesus turns around and he identifies her, and then he confirms that she has been healed, and and he identifies the fact that it's her faith that has made her well. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Luke's gospel shares with us the detail that this woman had, in fact, before coming to Jesus for the last several years, had spent all her money on physicians, on doctors, trying to be healthy again, and none of it had worked. So she comes to Jesus, and Jesus has healed what no one else could. She was not wrong in coming to him. Her faith was not misplaced. Jesus makes clear to her that she has rightly pursued him. She has rightly sought him. If she hadn't believed on him, she wouldn't have been there. (laughs) She wouldn't have touched his cloak, and she wouldn't have been healed. Now, with regards to the healing, listen, listen to this. All who believe in Jesus will be healed. All who believe in Jesus will be ultimately healed. Let's put it that way. All who believe in Jesus will be ultimately healed. Healed. I'm going to talk a minute, in, a, in a few minutes about miraculously healing in this life as to what, what happened to this woman. But the, the signal or the lesson from this is that all of us who have faith in Christ will be healed. If you have faith in Christ, one day you will be healed for good. If you have faith in Christ, one day you will be healed for good. Many of you know, maybe you saw in the bulletin, that Dean's, uh, uh, Dean's father passed away earlier this week. Uh, he's a man of God. He's a Christian. His faith was in Jesus Christ. His dad had been, Dean's dad had been weak for, a, for some time, uh, often spending the whole day in bed, uh, tired, not really wanting to eat, eating because other people were forcing to, him to eat and so forth. But Tuesday morning, Tuesday morning he moved to paradise. Tuesday morning, he entered into the presence of the Lord. Tuesday morning, he was healed. He was completely healed. He is done with sickness. His name is Larry. Larry is done with sickness. Larry is done with illness. He's done with disease. He will never, never be sick again. He will never be weak again. He'll never have another headache He'll never be tired again. And that's, be, that's not because he doesn't exist, that he ceased to be. Oh, no, he's alive. He's very much alive. He's more alive now than he's ever been. But it's because he put his faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ has healed him completely. He has received the ultimate healing. Why? Because in the words of verse 22, Larry's faith has made him well. He sought Jesus for his health, 
for his spiritual health and his physical health, he sought Jesus. He entrusted himself to the Lord Jesus, and now he is very much alive in the presence of the Lord. Now, what about healing in this life, though? What about healing in this life? Does Jesus heal miraculously today like he did with the woman in the passage that we are reading? He absolutely does heal miraculously today, but not all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes he heals directly, but sometimes he heals through nurses and doctors and medicine and hospitals. Now, sometimes our healing is instant, but sometimes it takes time. Sometimes people are ill and are suffering, suffering for most of their lives. And these are people who have faith in Christ. And they aren't 100, and they aren't 100% until they reach heaven. Think of Christians who, have, who deal with chronic illness or are constantly battling, battling cancer. I often think of Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you know who she is. Had a diving accident when she was a teenager and was paralyzed. And she has lived with that paralysis and pain uh, for all of her life. She has a fantastic ministry um, to, to people with uh, physical special needs and so forth. Um, but she, uh, healing has not, miraculous healing has not taken place in her life yet until she reaches heaven. Um, I've read of many cases where the Lord has miraculously healed and that healing has brought someone to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but Jesus doesn't always heal miraculously, and sometimes healing doesn't come for a long time. Some of us now on the prayer chain, or have in the past recently, and some of us are still praying for a Christian woman that we're familiar with who has an inoperable uh, brain cancer and not long to live, uh, according to the doctors. We are praying for her healing, among other things. Um, but whether he heals or not is up to him. Actually, we know he will heal, but whether he heals this side of eternity or not is up to him. It's not a matter, it's not a matter of if you just have enough faith, you're, you will be healed in this life. There are people who teach that, that if you just have enough faith, your, your, your cancer will be gone or your illness will be gone. That's a false gospel. And at least people with true faith thinking, what is wrong with me that I don't believe correctly? Well, that's not what Scripture teaches. The scripture te- scriptures, teaches, scriptures teach that we will ultimately heal, but sometimes healing doesn't come in this lifetime for our particular illness. Um, Paul talks about the fact that he left his, minister, uh, his fellow minister, Trophimus. He says, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Really? You know, if everyone who has faith is supposed to be healed, why didn't, why didn't Paul heal Trophimus? I mean, Paul healed people. Paul was healing people constantly. Why didn't he heal Trophimus? Because it wasn't the Lord's will for him to be healed. Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach troubles. Why didn't Paul just heal him? Because not always is it the will of the Lord to heal in this life. While the Bible does proclaim healing and especially ultimate healing, it also at the same time teaches that there is tremendous value in suffering, that there is tremendous value uh, in going through difficult times. It teaches that we believers will suffer from time to time. For instance, in the case of Johnny Erickson Tata, and I wish that she could be healed. I wish that she wouldn't have to experience that. But you know what? She has had such, because of her suffering, because of her paralysis, she has had a tremendous ministry that I don't think she would have had apart from that suffering. 
Some of the best lessons that we learn in life come through suffering, come through illness, come through difficulty, and so forth. But the bottom line is there is ultimate healing in the ultimate sense for you if your faith is in Jesus Christ. You will one day have a body that will never falter, never be scarred, always be strong, always feel good. That's called the resurrection body. Well, back to the account here in in Matthew's Gospel. Um, The procession resumes and they go on to the home of Jairus. Now, there's a bit of a spectacle when they arrive. Mark, in fact, calls it a commotion. When they arrive at their home, they they, they encounter a commotion. The girl has died. The girl has died. Uh, There's a crowd weeping and wailing. There are some flute players there who are playing the flute. Um, I believe in that culture that they were buried the same day. So the funeral was already in process. Um, In that day, funeral customs required even a poor family to hire at least two people to play the flute and at least one woman to wail loudly. They were professional mourners. Their tradition was not sobbing quietly. Uh, Their tradition was loud wailing. Um, It wasn't disrespectful. It's the way they respected. That's the way they conducted their funerals then. But Jesus arrives, and he takes charge of the situation. He tells them the girl is not dead, but that she's asleep. And then he casts everyone out of the house. The other Gospels tell us that he kept with him Jairus and his wife, so the the, the girl's parents, and also Peter, James, and John. Then he goes into the room where the girl is at. He takes her hand, and she gets up. Um, She's raised from the dead. Jesus not only handles disease, but he also handles death. He not only handles disease, he also handles death. When Jesus told the funeral crowd that Jairus' daughter wasn't dead, that she was only asleep, They laughed at him. They went from sobbing, here was a sobbing crowd, to a laughing crowd, a mocking crowd. They knew that the girl was dead. Perhaps they were laughing because the famous healer had arrived too late and now he's making a fool of himself. Verse 26 says that news about Jesus spread throughout the whole region because of what happened in Jairus' house that day. But the news that was spread wasn't the fact that the great healer or the the great teacher had made a fool of himself. Rather, the news that was spread was that he had raised this little girl from the dead, that he had brought life back to a child who had died. He had reached across that impenetrable border, through that solid wall that is called death, and he brought her back. From Jesus' perspective, the girl was only asleep. Uh, Raising her from the dead was no more difficult for him than waking someone up. The Gospels record two other specific instances where Jesus raised someone from the dead, uh, the only son of a widow and also uh, Lazarus. But there are are other verses uh, that hint at the fact that there were other resurrections as well that aren't recorded in the Gospels. Death was not a boundary for Jesus. It wasn't a boundary for Jesus. The mourners thought she was past the point of no return, uh, but she wasn't for Jesus. She wasn't the past the point of no return for Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the master of resurrection. Look what he says in John chapter 5. He says, I assure you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Do not be amazed at this because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. He's talking about himself and come out. Those who have done good things to the resurrection of life 
but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. And death is our reality. We live in a world of death. I, I assume that each one of you is expecting at some moment that you will pass away unless the Lord comes back first, that you will pass away. Um, that's, that's just a reality. Uh, everyone dies. But that's our reality now. It's not the reality forever. One day, death itself will die. Death has a deadline. Resurrection will be the reality then. Life will be the reality. If you have faith in Christ, you will live happily forever. If you have faith in Christ, you will live happily forever. Complete and permanent healing, abundant and everlasting life, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more disease, no more death. And the key for us is faith. The key for us is faith in Jesus Christ. Confidence that he will do as he has promised, entrusting ourselves to him. The woman believed that Jesus could heal her. He told her, your faith made you well. Jairus believed Jesus could help his daughter on the verge of death. It's interesting that in the other Gospels, the details that they give. Um, Jairus comes and wants Jesus. Jairus comes to Jesus and says, my, my girl's dying, please come. And then what happens next is, uh, well, the, the woman intervenes, you know, she touches and, and he heals her. And then while he's still talking with the woman who he's just healed, messengers come from the house of Jairus and tell him, uh, your daughter's died. Don't, don't trouble the teacher anymore. And Jesus hears that, and he turns to Jairus, and he says, don't, don't let your faith falter. Maintain your faith. Keep your faith up. Continue to believe on me. I don't remember exactly how it's worded. But he encourages Jairus to maintain his faith. You came to me when she was sick. Continue seeking me now that she is dead. Hint, hint. Death is not a boundary that affects me. I can still help. The message is the same for you. Don't be afraid. Only believe, and you will be made well. Your faith will save you. Jesus died to provide for your eternal life and for your healing. You will survive suffering and illness and death if your faith is in Christ. Jesus is worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your trust. And one final lesson is this. In all your crises, seek Christ's help. In all your crises, seek Jesus' help. This is not to say that you should only seek him in your troubles and only seek him in your crises. Um, of course, we should seek the Lord at all times. Even when times are good, uh, we should be seeking the Lord. But this passage has us focused on crises in life, on trials, on troubles, on times of suffering, on times of trouble. In times like that, seek the Lord's help. Why? Because he has authority in every area of life. He has authority in every area of life. You know, I don't know if you remember the story when uh, he was first getting to know Peter and he's out. He gives Peter, Peter had been fishing all night and had caught nothing. Peter's a f- professional fisherman, right? And he, caught, and he caught no fish and Jesus tells him, go back out. <laughs> Peter says, okay, I've been fishing all night. This is my job. I'm a fisherman. Let's see, you're a religious professional. You're a rabbi. But because you say so, I'll go back out. And guess what? They caught a mess of fish. Jesus demonstrating he has authority and knowledge in every area of life. 
The miracles in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, where we're at right now, teach us that he has authority. He has authority over nature. He has authority over nature. He stills the storm in Matthew chapter 8. He has authority over demons. He casts out demons in chapter 8. He has authority over disease. In chapters 8 and 9, we see him heal leprosy and fevers and paralysis and blindness and bleeding. And he even has authority over death. Why is it that sometimes when you have a beef with a company or a restaurant that you want to talk to the manager? Because they have authority to be able to do something, right? Go to Jesus as well. He has authority over every area of life. Seek the Lord in all your crises because he has authority and because he knows about your situation and because he loves you and cares about you and because he tells you to come to him with your problems. Philippians 4, 6, for instance, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You can look up Hebrews 4, 16, which I could quote for you if I could remember it. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us when? In our time of need. He encourages us to seek him in our troubles. The woman came to him. Jairus came to him. His solution may not always be immediate deliverance, but sometimes it might be immediate deliverance. But he will always do what is best from the point of view of his perfect wisdom. And even though he may not rescue you from the valley of the shadow of death, he will never forsake you. And if he allows you to go through that valley of the shadow of death, he will be right there with you. He will be walking with you or... He even may be carrying you through that valley. Know that whatever suffering you have to endure, he will bring it to an end at some point. If not today or tomorrow, it nonetheless will come to an end if your faith is in Christ. He is worthy of your trust. One of my favorite series of novels is written for children. It's Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And um, at the, it, it's sort of a parable or a picture of heaven, um, or of Christ in heaven and living for Christ and so forth. The last, at the end of the last book, uh, it's called the last battle or the final battle. I don't remember what it's called. Anyway, something about a battle. At the end, there's a picture of heaven. <laughs> there's a picture of heaven uh, in which the the, the children and all the all the creatures, the talking animals, and all, all the peoples of Narnia um, are, are entering into heaven, and it's a picture of heaven. And I like what the last... So I'm just going to read for you the last paragraph from uh, this whole series, because I think what C.S. Lewis says about those characters is also true about us as believers. And for us, this is the end of all the stories and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after but for them it was only the beginning of the real story all their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before and i that's that's truth for believers, you know the the uh, the fairy tales that you read, and they lived happily ever after. 
That's true for Christians. That's really true for Christians. It's no fairy tale when we talk about heaven. Um, So if your faith is in Christ, ultimate healing is coming. And eternal life is coming. Abundant life is coming. This is your future if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. This is why we worship you, Heavenly Father, because of your great love and grace and mercy towards us, that you have reconciled us, that you have given us a second chance. We know that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We know the punishment that we deserve. Your word has made it very clear to us how how sinful we are. Uh, and, And not just because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they handed that down to us, but we in our own right have sinned repeatedly against you, have gone our own way, have ignored you, and turned our backs on you. All of us has gone astray. And you and your great love have given to us your son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live and then went to the cross for our sins and paid for our sins on the cross that if we would believe on him, we would have eternal life. What a tremendous gift you have given us. Um, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you and praise you uh, for this gift of healing and this gift of life that you have given to us. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have laid upon our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.